You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's head in our scriptures to Romans chapter 3 once again. Romans chapter 3. I have two pictures while you're on your way to verse... I'm going to start in verse 9 today, but it will be 21 through 26. I have a picture from Oliver that I did not get in last week, and it kind of, yeah, I think you can kind of see it here. Um, Oliver, this was from two weeks ago when we were in verses 1 through 8, and talking about the faithfulness of God to all his, all his word, and he's got Paul up here, and I don't know if that's Paul too, or me, or whoever, but, but Oliver drew this in the, ho- the holy book, the word of God, and that's what we we want to preach from and trust in that God has spoken to us through his word. So, got your picture up, Oliver, so thank you for that. And then, last week, this came from Lincoln. So, I do these kind of in order. If they haven't been up here, I've got a little list that the furthest back is their picture. And here's Lincoln, and he wrote down, you're all sinners, let's pray. He wasn't the only one to pick up on that. So, moms, if that was... Not well received, just hopefully you received it in the, that we're, we, we sin and yet we have Christ, but Lincoln caught on to that. But I love the boxes around there, no one. That's the whole point of Paul, no one. That's what we're going to read again today, Lincoln, so thank you for drawing that. There is more. We want to get that, but there's more. So we're not praying and ending, but, but studying more. So hopefully you are now at Romans 3. And let's read from verse 9 again, and then I will come, will come into these next few verses for us. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray again. 
Lord, we crown you Lord of all. That is not us confirming it. You are confirmed Lord of all. We are acknowledging it. That the truth of your word points to your lordship and reign over everything, everywhere. And Lord, I pray today as we take in the truths of these few verses here in verses 21 through 26. Lord, would you just, again, we're praying for your spirit who directs us and glorifies Christ to work in us again. Show us Jesus once again, Lord. And may we be in awe of who you are, of what you've done, and the hope we have in Christ alone. And so we pray this for this time. Guide each heart, guide the ones, Lord, as they have their words open in their laps, as they take notes or just listen, as they drift off. Lord, as we all do, Lord, bring them back and may you speak to their hearts today and to my heart as I preach. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Perhaps you've heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones, a uh, pastor in England. He's passed away. Um, I think it was in the 80s, maybe. Maybe it was before then. I think in the 80s. He is quoted to have said, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's quoted to have said, quote, There are no more wonderful words in the whole of Scripture than just these two words, but now. What has come before this part, the the then, you know, here's the now, the then, that was the bondage of sin that all mankind is in. That's what we just kind of reread today. The, the none is righteous, the no one fears God, the no works will ever justify any human being but now. So now something is different. And that difference makes all the difference. And it's the climactic point of redemptive history. And we, by God's grace, we get to study it in these few verses and beyond. It's not just here. But and beyond, but we get to study it and see this glory of God's eternal plan of salvation accomplished by Christ Himself, the righteous one. And so verses twenty-one through twenty-six are going to take us on a journey here of exploring some of these great truths of the gospel. So let's head into our text here in verse twenty-one. And we see those words again, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I think in general you could say Paul is, uh, there's a new revealing here from Paul. He's, he's bringing things to light, that, that there's a righteousness brought to light. The, the Greek words are different here, but we, we've seen this before in chapter 1, verse 17. If you just, I don't know how, short your scripture is that you can look back, but 17 talks about the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And then even just the very next verse in chapter 118, we talked about the wrath of God that's being revealed. And so over and over in our text, as we've come to this point, it's been leading us. Paul's been making the case here for universal accountability and sinfulness, both in the Jew and in the Gentile. But in verse 21, something is made known. It's manifested. It's, it's revealed. And it's something that is apart from the law. 
Paul calls it here the righteousness of God. And that's what's apart from the law. In fact, the word righteousness here, or another similar words, justify or justified, just, they're all related. They come up seven times just in the, these, these verses 21 through 26 here. And this righteousness of God is what Paul has made his case. None of us have. No one. No one has this righteousness of God, but now it's been revealed. The, the law simply shows every man and every woman their sin, like a mirror, like looking in the mirror, the law points back and says, you have transgressed this law. It shows us that. That doesn't make the law bad. It's not just, you know, throw it out. It's a bad law because it, it as well, it reveals the character of God in the law. And, those, and it reveals to us, those who follow him, obey God's commands, but it can never, by either, either obedience to it or possessing or having it, none of these things can make one righteous. But now, here, a righteousness has been revealed that the law could never produce. And the source of that righteousness is God, not man. So, if God is the source, that righteousness that righteousness cannot fail. Paul notes here in this verse as well that, the, that even the law and the prophets, I think that's just shorthand for the Old Testament, even the Old Testament, we might say, bears witness to this. Now, Paul here doesn't go into a list of scriptures, but he's already, we've seen, um, I think it's from Habakkuk 2.4, that the righteous shall live by faith. That was in chapter 1, verse 17. So he's used Habakkuk. And as we go into chapter 4, we're going to see Abraham talked about and David spoken of. And so there's these examples of even Abraham and David being counted as righteous by faith. Old Testament figures. I've used the term here, uh, redemptive history, but it's worth just, just kind of planting that. What do we mean by redemptive history? Because I think this is really important for each of us to understand the Word of God. So the Bible, what we have is not just some random book of, of fascinating stories, and some of them quite unusual, as we saw in the book of Judges. Not just a random book of just kind of some stories, but there's a cohesiveness that all 66 books, there's, there's something here that holds them all together called redemptive history. We see this throughout. It starts in... Um, in, in the garden, in Eden, it's a perfect place, and then there's the fall of man. And yet at the end of the whole book in Revelation, there's the new heavens and the new earth, and there's this, this total restoration. And here we're at that climactic point. Even Jesus, Luke 24, talked about it this way, saying, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And so there's this theme of this redemption of Christ, this redemptive history accomplished by Christ for sinners by His death and resurrection. It's what Scripture is leading to. It's how to put it all together so that we're not just reading Proverbs for the sake of Proverbs, although it's there and there's much to glean and, and every other book and has its own genre and ways and history and people it's written to, but they all come together to point there's a history that God is doing. that helps us see the Bible as a whole and not just segments of books. So there is this righteousness of God apart from the law. 
And Paul's making it clear, it, it's not apart from God's Word. This is not some, some just super new, this is, God's Word has even testified, even the Old Testament has testified to this. The Scriptures bear witness. And so in verse 22 then, Paul comes back to this theme of the righteousness of God and says there, look at just the, the first part of chapter, uh, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so really, at this point, we're a full circle back to where we were in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the righteousness of God that's by faith. In Romans 3, 20, Paul had said, through, hear these words, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now in verse 22, we could say through faith in Jesus Christ comes the righteousness of God. Now, we'll get just a little technical for just a bit. Most of your translations, I think, rightly say, they talk about faith as this faith in Jesus Christ. That's probably what most of you have, through faith in Jesus Christ. The, the way the Greek works here can leave, can leave open the translation, and some versions, maybe you have um, like the Net Bible, um, I can't remember the other ones there, it might read the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, pointing to His faithfulness, and not our faith in Him, but His faithfulness. Now, surely Christ was faithful. He is faithful all the way to the cross. But I think just to note here, the context of Romans, even the section, if you look down in, in verse 26 at the end of it, Him who has faith in Jesus, or verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith, it has believers as that context. Mankind is the one who, who is putting faith in Christ. And so I don't think here it's referring to the faithfulness of Christ, though he was, but it's pointing to our faith in Christ. And so with that said, I want to think on faith itself again. And we've already looked at this in chapter 1. What is faith? I'm going to use a quote from Doug Moo. I actually, I think we spoke about it back in Romans chapter 1, and that's where it comes from in verse 17. He said there, Pauline, that's kind of talking about the books that Paul has wrote, Pauline and New Testament faith is not primarily agreement with a set of doctrines, but trust in a person. Faith is not Primarily agreement with a set of doctrines, but trust in a person. Now, don't misunderstand. Doctrine is crucial. It, because why? It tells us of the person who we're trusting in. You can say, I don't want doctrine, just give me Jesus. But the minute we say, well, who is Jesus? You're into doctrine. So the doctrine feeds us into, but it's not the agreement with just the the facts of it, it's the trust in the person that the doctrine points to. Here, in case, Christ Jesus. He's the one whom our faith is to be in. Jesus Christ, this sure anchor for the hope of the ungodly and the unrighteous to look to Him. So faith then, or call it believing or trust, is aimed at and it rests in Christ alone. Kevin DeYoung gives this illustration for faith, and I I believe he shared it when George and I were at T4G a couple weeks ago, and I found it online and and attributed to him, and this idea of 
helping us understand faith, and hopefully this is helpful to us, even though it's getting warmer out. His illustration, maybe this will help us feel cooler, is of a, of a frozen lake for him in Michigan, thinking of a frozen lake in the middle of winter. Maybe some, some guys are going to go out and ice skate or play hockey on this lake. You got the picture of this, this frozen lake. And so the hockey player, Faith, kind of has that idea of stepping out onto the ice, trusting the ice will hold. So there's this image here, trusting the ice to, to hold that hockey player up so you can safely step out on the lake. Think of that idea of faith. But listen to this. The stepping, the trusting, the believing, that is not what is holding the one who is out on the lake up. It's not that. Yes, you stepped. What is holding you up? DeYoung would argue the thickness of the ice is what's holding you there. It's not you holding yourself you know, adding water, making thicker ice, doing all you can to kind of get yourself there. It's the, it's the ice that does the holding. The faith is just a, it steps, trusts. That's what he's looking to. The holding up, the firm ground, the righteousness, we don't have ourselves. It's in Christ. Christ is that thickness, if you will, of ice. So faith then, faith is not some kind of, kind of work for us to do to make ice thicker or make sure we've got, i got to have a more powerful trust. And I've, I brought this out before, but it's so helpful to us, I think those especially that, that have those, those doubts and those nagging doubts even of the enemy that says, boy, you sure don't have enough of that. Well, we have plenty, not, not, not of me, but the ice is plenty thick of Christ. He is the power. He's the finished work. So faith then looks outward to Him. Let us not succumb to this trap of examining our faith. Yes, examine to see, are you in, your faith? Are you in the faith? Do you, does your life play out and look like one who is trusting in Christ? Does it look like that? But that's not the ground. That's not the basis of it. It's Christ. He's the one our faith is in. And so thus, this righteousness of God, this this rightness of God is for all who believe in Jesus Christ. We'll come back to this in a bit, but at the end of verse 22, and then going into verse 23 comes Paul's focus and urging here that there's no distinction. Again, this is nothing new to us. There's no distinction of people groups or ethnicities for this salvation, but in line with that, there's also no distinction for all have Sin. Look at verse 23. Such a familiar verse to many of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think you could say this is just a summary statement of the last seven or so weeks in Romans for us. I appreciate you. Trudge. We've, we've walked along and kind of kind of like, you know, it's a hang on, we'll get to 321 and further. Hang in there, but let us drill deep and get this foundation that none is righteous. You, you're this person, you're that person, none is. And Paul sums it up here, all have sinned. Jews have sinned, Greeks have sinned. If you live in Leroy, Minnesota, you were born in sin. If you live in Leroy, Illinois, and whatever other Leroy, there's sin, you're born with it. 
and you act out on this sin. All have sinned. But as we thought about faith, let's just think a little bit about sin once again, and, we'll, and then we'll come back. We're talking about this Wednesday night in, in baptism class and, and the idea of sin, of missing the mark. Somebody brought is that? I, I think that's there. There's this idea of, of a target, and sin is just off target. Sin is missing that mark. And, and the mark, what's the mark? That's God's standard. This is His way, the law penetrates and shows that. Here's God's standard. Here's the mark, but the shooting is off. It's missing the mark. But one writer, Walter Grundman, had a long article on sin. I think he's helpful here to just even broaden that view of sin as it relates here, I think, to Paul. Paul and, and really, he's thinking through Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road. This is Paul who would call himself, according to the law, blameless, but Paul then, who says, you know, I'm the worst of sinners. Grunman notes this, that, that Paul realized in regards to sin, and I hope this, this is helpful in thinking about sin. He says, Paul realized, quote, that sin is not merely a violation of the divine majesty, as he, Paul, had already learned as a Jew, but active hostility to God and resistance to his will on the part of the man who wills to be independent and to rule his own life. Catch the, there's sin, there's missing the mark, and then there's who has the mark, whose mark is it? It's God. And so that sin is not just off course, it is in violation, Grunman, act of hostility towards God. And I think that's what we've seen here in verses 10 through 18 of last week. Those unrighteous, they're, they're not just not following the law. They're in active rebellion to the law giver. You see it there. Um, verse 11, no one seeks for God. Or verse 12, all have turned aside. Or verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Acts of sin are then byproducts of a heart turned away from Almighty God. And so I think think this gives some clarity even to the idea of repentance. What does repentance look like for us? I I think we learn from here and see from here, it's more than simply just a listing of our sins. It's understanding, I think as David said, who our sin is against. Lord, I have sinned. And this sin is rebellion against you. And it has hurt other people. But I'm accountable before the Holy Lord. Well, all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. Note here this this word for all have sinned and fall short. It's not all have sinned and at some point they fell short. It's the verbal here is a present idea, so you can get excited again about verbs. It's, it's continual. Maybe that's not exciting because it's sin. It's continual. So we shouldn't be excited about that, but the verb helps us understand. This is a continual falling short. So all have sinned and continue, you could say, to fall short of the glory of God. Doug Moo sees glory in the Bible. What is glory? What's this glory of God? The, he calls it the magnificent presence of the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 59.2, though. It says, But your iniquities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. Think of the, 
You're separated from this presence and this glory. That's the sins that have separated. And your sins have what? They have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Those in sin are those who fall short. And unless God would act in His magnificent grace, we will forever fail to enter that glorious and joyful presence of the Lord. But we will be cast into utter darkness where? Away from the presence of the Lord called hell. We fall short of this presence, this glory of the Lord. But then, verse 24, counters this sin and falling short of verse 23. I just want to read the first nine words, at least in the ESV, of verse 24. Let me start in verse 23 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. There's more there, but let's think about the first part here. Here again, justified. We've got the language of righteousness. Inter, I think inter, in some ways interchangeable. Righteousness, justice, justified. Righteousness of God pronounced upon sinners. That is that the, the unrighteous one, the one rightly deserving the wrath of God is so justified, declared Righteous, pronounced righteous. And guess what of the verb here? It's in the present tense. It's continual. Presently, yes, you were continually falling short. You are presently now. You are continually justified. Theologian Louis Burkhoff speaks of two aspects of justification. You don't have to write or understand these, but maybe helpful for us to just think through because we're really talking about this great, the great doctrine of justification by faith. It's what really the Reformation some 500 plus years ago was built upon. The Reformation that was, that was built on this justification by faith. He, he sees two aspects of justification. One is active, one is passive Let me just read from Burkhoff, who describes active justification. What is this? He describes it in that it, quote, consists in a declaration which God makes respecting the sinner. Again, we're back in that courtroom. And this declaration is made in the tribunal of God. This declaration is not a declaration in which God simply acquits the sinner without taking any account of the claims of justice but is rather a divine declaration that in the case of the sinner under consideration, the demands of the law are met. The sinner is declared righteous in view of the fact that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to him. The word imputed here is important and the righteousness is imputed. There's two aspects of this imputation. I know we're using big words, but they're, they're good to understand. Our sins, for those God has called, are imputed and put on Christ, and so He suffers in our place. It's what Isaiah is talking about. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Our sins on Christ. But then what? By faith, His righteousness imputed to us. His, not ours, 
but His. And so thus, we are declared righteous, not on the basis of our thickness of ice, not on the basis of our faith, but who it's in, the righteousness of Christ. And thus, that righteousness becomes ours before God. But then there's passive justification. And I think this is, I, I would just almost see this as, the what's the application of this? Burkhoff describes that as that which is brought home to the sinner. Bring this home. Okay, we're, we're here, we're talking big words now, justification, imputation, bring it home. He says this, the granting of a pardon would mean nothing to a prisoner unless the glad tidings were communicated to him and the doors of the prison were opened. Moreover, it is exactly at this point that the sinner learns to understand better than anywhere else that salvation is of free grace. Paul alludes to this grace in verse 24. You are and are justified by his grace as a gift. You could literally translate this being justified freely by his grace. The SV, NASB, if you're reading that, they translate, I think, freely here the words as a gift. I think of gifts. I think of Christmas time, maybe your birthday, but I think of gifts most often at Christmas. This is not Santa Claus giving gifts. How is Santa Claus gifts? How do they come? Whether you are naughty or nice. You get the lump of coal, or if you've been good, you get this. That's not what a gift is. That's just what you've earned. That's your wages. This is free. This is a gift. This is not an earned. Your being pronounced righteous before the judge of all, even though you're a sinner, is free. It's a gift unearned by you. I want to read a rather extended quote from F.F. Bruce that I think brings great application in thinking of this grace as a gift. He says, when it comes to the question of our acceptance by God, how much more satisfying it is to know oneself justified freely by His grace than to hope to be justified by works of law. In the latter, that's justified by works of the law. I can never be really satisfied that I have made the grade, that my behavior has been sufficiently meritorious to win the divine approval even if i do the best i can and and the trouble is i do not always do that how can i be certain that my best comes with measure within measurable distance of god's requirement i may hope but i can never be sure but if god in sheer grace assures me of his acceptance in advance and I gladly embrace His assurance, then I can go on to do His will without always worrying whether I am doing it adequately or not. In fact, to the end of the chapter, and he says chapter, I think he's meaning to the end of life here. To the end of life, I shall be an unprofitable servant. But I know whom I have believed. He owns me for His child. I can no longer fear. May our response to this grace be worship and praise and adoration. May our lives reflect this faith in Christ. 
Yes, there is obedience to our Lord, and we're going to see that as we look through this book of Romans. But today, I think we're just simply thinking today about joy in Christ for this gift. Perhaps tearful joy. But joy, we ought to be joyful for this gift. Joy for the grace that God has given you in Christ. No longer that you would be accounted a sinner, but a saint. No longer accounted as unrighteous, but the righteousness of God. Imputed to you by grace through faith. What does Paul say? This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. I want to read... um, not that old of a song. The words are older from Charles Wesley, but the song is maybe newer to me from Sovereign Grace Music. And it, two verses, it, it reads like this Depth of mercy can there be, mercy reaching even me? God the just, his wrath forbears. Me, the chief of sinner, spares. So many times my heart has strayed from his kind and perfect ways, making clear my desperate need for his blood poured out for me. And then verse 2 says, Give me grace, Lord. Let me own all the wrongs that I have done. Let me now my sins deplore. Look to you and sin no more. There for me the Savior stands, holding forth his wounded hands, scars, whichever cry for me, once condemned, but now set free. Next week, we're going to think more on this blood of Jesus and what it accomplished for sinners. We're only really halfway through this section. We're going to look at these words of Lord willing of redemption and propitiation And all the while, all the while in this, God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. For you today, where is your soul? Is your soul in the 9 through 20 of Romans chapter 3? Is that you? Or is your soul in the but now, in the verse 21 and following? You resonate with the words of the song, so many times my heart has strayed from his kind and perfect ways. Do you too see once again afresh or for the first time your desperate need that without Christ you are through the ice to a life of hell eternally? No works can justify a single soul. But now in Christ The righteousness of God comes for all who believe in him. May we look by faith and look onto Jesus Christ. He is that thick and solid ground, never to break, never to melt away like a lake might. He is firm. He is the cornerstone, the stone on which our faith is built on him. May we look to him. Those scars which ever cry for me, once condemned, and there it is again, but now set free. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray, and before I pray, 
on behalf of this body, Lord, of believers that are gathered here to just say thank you, Lord, for such amazing grace. Not grace for those that looked promising and deserving and were halfway there already, but grace for undeserving, unrighteous, ungodly sinners. We worship you, and may we worship you forever for your grace in Christ. And Lord, as we are being transformed by your Spirit into the image of Christ, and we wake up, or we eat lunch, and we go to bed with the nagging thoughts of our guilt and our failures, may we once again be brought by your Spirit to see Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross on our behalf, taking on our sin so that we might have his righteousness and look forward to the sure hope of eternal life with you. Lord, drill this truth and these glorious truths into our hearts in the Monday through Saturdays of our lives and on days like today. We pray this in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.